Welcome back, guys, to another episode of Business from the Bass Boat Podcast. We've got an Andy doing backflips. <laughs> that was fantastic. I'm trying to get uh, my phone into a better spot because, you know. As you guys can see, we are joined today with Andy, of all people, in his living room watching Bassmaster Live. How's it going, dude? Yeah. Oh, it's been a hectic Thursday. I actually have the day off today. So um, I to get a haircut and I was there for almost two hours. So that ruined um, most of my morning. So I sat in the waiting area watching Bassmaster Live and everybody just cracking fish. And I was like, I'm so jealous. And now I am uh, washed some dishes and now I'm hanging out here doing like the honey-do list. It's been a pretty good day off. It's been a while. Heck yeah, man. Well, good. Well, good to have a day off and uh, man, it has been awesome watching live. It's been a problem. It's like trying to get some work yeah. done and then you just scroll back and someone's got a six pounder on and you're like, okay, here we go. I'm going to be busy. Yeah. Mess now. <laughs> it's the way it goes. Um, I don't know. Have you paid any attention to the BPT? Dude, I did yesterday heavily. Uh, when they were on Caney Creek and my gosh, there's some big fish in that lake, yeah. was, like clear and they were scoping them and it was wicked. But, uh, today I've seen it was a little bit tougher. I've, I've checked in a couple of times, but I haven't, I don't know who's, who's running that deal yet. Cause they're on a different lake. That's muddy and kind of a flipping uh, deal. Yeah. The last time I checked was about an hour ago and Brian thrift at the time that you're listening to this had a nine pounder for one fish. It was leading and everybody else had like one or two and only four people had fish. Yeah. But they all had giants. That's wicked, dude. That's wicked. Well, dude, let's bring in, uh, let's talk a little bit about who we've got on today, but another guy who's struggling with probably the winter blues and being up North, up on the Northeast, uh, side of things up by you. We've got Matt coming on captain Matt with Titan up charters, um, excited to get him on and talk about what he's got going with Titan Up Charters as well as uh, BKK Hooks. So uh, without further ado, let's pull Matt in to the stream. Matt, hey, how are you, man? Good. How are you doing, guys? Doing well. Excited doing to be on with you. Heck yeah, man. Well, thanks for taking the time out. How, uh, Absolutely. How, how's the, the off-season been for you, man? Uh, it's tough. It's... um. Winter's starting to really take full stride on the emotional toll it takes on us. You know, the guys who live most of their life on the water being snowed in and stuck in. And, you know, I was just in the boat um, under the shrink wrap trying to just get some stuff done. Nice. Kind of try to live through the boat issues <laughs> over the winter, you know. But it's it's it goes good. I mean, we try to keep ourselves busy with shows, um, fishing shows, seminars um ice fishing steelhead you know just something to get us through the winter heck yeah but the older we get it's gets tougher and tougher no doubt well time to move to florida there you go you need to you need to have a base camp down south i guess too right yeah yeah it might be nice i've never done it you know but it it seems like it might be uh an option for the future no doubt andy uh you guys you guys got out recently right or did you guys get out and fish this season, steelhead fishing, both you and Matt? Yeah, about a month and a half ago now, Matt. Yeah. Out, about a month ago. Yeah. It was, um, what, second week in December? 
No, second week of Was it January? January? It was right after the New Year, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was January. It was very uh, – it was shockingly late to be able to fish as free of ice as we did. You know? Yeah. And we caught some fish too, which was fun. Yeah, we did a great. Um, I am having phone issues. Yeah, we had a great, we had a great trip, man. It was, uh, it was nice getting out. You know, it's definitely exploring new water. It's always satisfying to catch fish on new water. You know, yeah. for the first time. Mm-hmm. You know, and I've been going out there for years, but Andy was just able to show me um, a different spin on the area from a local standpoint. You know, which is nice. Gotcha. So how how far is that for you? Uh, being on your Cape Cod, correct? No, I live in southwestern Connecticut for the winter. Okay. So Cape Cod would be a hike. Cape Cod would probably be um, nine hours to get there. For me, uh, it's about six and a half. Okay. Depending where on area I'm going. You know, if I went to Andy, it'd probably be a half an hour longer, but to where we go, it's probably about six and a half hours. You know, not you. a bad ride, though. It's worth it when you get out there. It's one of the best fisheries in the in the United States. Yeah, yeah, that's what I, I keep hearing from Andy and all these guys that are uh, sick with it, man. I, I'd love to try it just one time. I've never oh, really so much fun anything like that with with big big fish in Colorado. We've got a yeah, lot especially of especially like, when you get a day that they're dialed. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, a day where they're dialed, like Andy oh, saying, okay. where it's just you have to almost find what they're not going to eat. Wow, you know, um, it stays like that where it actually it doesn't become not fun, but it. It's much more um, rewarding when there's um, when there's a, an element of a challenge to the fishing, you know. But oh, yeah. I, I'll, I'll never turn down a day where they're one after another. So that's crazy. Yeah, it's a great time. That's awesome. Well, dude, let's get into the show a little bit here, Andy. There is a little bit of background noise. I don't know if it's your Bassmaster Live playing or what. On I think it's on your end. Uh, you may just want to turn that down just a hair. Um, but anyways, Matt, first thing I want to talk about is, is tighten up charger charters and everything that you do there. Um, I, you sent me a couple of, of videos that were just incredible showing the light line tuna action. Just like, I mean, that's right up. I, I love anything light line situations, especially for the right. couple of times I have been offshore has just been a blast, but let's hear the background. Where did that all begin for you? Um, how did, how did it all start? It, it just, I, I grew up fishing the Cape. Um, when I was younger, my parents used to, they had a small place up there and right after school would end, we would start going up to the Cape, um, the week after school ended and we'd stay up there until the day before school started. So, um, I was always fishing up there. I mean, I grew up fishing here. We had a pond down the street from our house and I used to fish it, um, every day after school. And then my father would whistle for me at sunset, um, right before dinner and I'd have to run home. <laughs> and it was everything in those ponds back then. It was, you know, pickerel, smallmouth, largemouth, bullhead, pumpkin seeds, you know, sunnies, bluegills, yellow perch. It was everything. Yeah. Um, and then I just went on a bigger and better thing, striped bass fishing on the beaches up at the Cape. And um, and then when I um, when I feel like I couldn't do any better with the striped bass, I just wanted to go bigger and better and better. So yeah. I went over to Bluefin Tuna and – you know, going after, in my mind, one of the most difficult fish in the ocean to catch in probably one of the most difficult ways was light tackle topwater. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's a challenge all in itself. And um, so I started doing it myself and then started gaining traction with people who wanted to know how I was doing it and why I was doing it. 
and techniques. So I said to myself, you know, let me just start chartering people. And I enjoy teaching people. I enjoy teaching people the right way. And, and the satisfaction of seeing somebody get their first bluefin on top waters, you know, there's nothing better, you know, so what's better than, you know, having an attempt to see that every day, you know, with the people. And then like you were saying, Adam, with the, um, with the element of live lining, there's been so many things that we've done the past couple of years that are off the cuff and completely unordinary from standard bluefin tuna fishing. Wow. Where we've done this little thing. We, we, we kind of call it like top water live bait run and gun. Okay. Where we'll go screaming up onto a school of fish that are raging on the surface and sure. we'll run up front and we'll hand line a bait on a hook and we'll throw it into the middle of the school of fish and we'll feed the bait out to the fish just so we can feel the line get ripped out of our hand. Oh my gosh. I mean, it's so incredible. Wow. Um, to do that. Um, it's just, it's just, it's just something different. You don't lose but, any fingers doing that. <laughs> no, you, that's one thing about uh, tuna fishing is I try to explain to everybody never, ever, ever for any reason whatsoever, have your line wrapped around that or hand wrapped around that line. Yeah. Line your hand ever. You'll lose fingers, you'll lose hands. Um, so it's just a, you know, it's a one over like this and you're feeding the line out. I if you're see. ever holding the line, you just have your hand on top of it, you know, holding it down. Um, always have your hand in a position where it can be taken off the line as fast as possible, you know? Um, but watching the strikes is, it's incredible. I mean, even when we fish with balloons, you'll see the fish chase the bait up to the surface and a bluefish or a bunker or a mackerel is running around on the surface full speed. And you have this hundred, 200, 300 pounder chasing it, crashing relentlessly on it until he finally gets it. You know, it's all, a, it's a, it's a, it's, it's incredible to watch. Even after years of doing it, every time I do it, it's like, I just did it for the first time. Dude, that is wicked. I mean, in, in the balloon deal, <laughs> right? straight up in the air, like, oh my. Right. <laughs> like, and the, and the balloon deals like bobber fishing almost, right? Like it's like when you're yeah. a kid, it's the same concept, but obviously it's, it's much exactly harder. the same concept, how you're. You were, um, we're using the balloon to keep the bait at a certain depth. Mm-hmm. The balloon really doesn't do anything for us <laughs> because by the time the balloon goes down, it's a matter of seconds until we're tight to the fish. Sure. So it's a way of keeping the fish at a certain depth and away from the other fish, you know, uh, okay. um, and, and, and somewhat of an indicator for us as to where the bait is. Sure. You know, um, so without a balloon, you tried to live line you know, baits, most of the time the bait will just swim right back to the boat, you know, because it's the only security out there that they have. It's the only thing they can hide around. Yeah. You know, so, um, yeah, that's all the balloons for, you know, if, if the balloon can't hold up the weights, we use garbage bags too. Gotcha. So we'll blow, we'll blow up a garbage bag and put it on, on the line too. You know, it's crazy. Well, it's yeah, it's, it's intense. Dude, that's like, uh, uh that, <laughs> man andy what we need to do sometime is is make a trip dude that is that is wicked uh just the videos you had and everything is just chaos and um i mean top water is my favorite type of fishing with anything and just this the action is just it's like to me the only the only thing i could relate it to from the aspect of i'm a, I'm a big hunter as well and mm-hmm. like you go from deer hunting and you go from all these different things and then like the pinnacle in my eyes anyways of like the 
the Rocky Mountain big game animals is an elk and archery elk hunting is just like, I mean, as cool as it gets. And to me, like light line tuna is like that level in the fishing world. Yeah. Never and, that's, and that's what it is. You're taking archery. So you're, you're targeting an extremely difficult animal in the hardest way possible. Exactly. You know, you know, you gotta be upfront and close with the thing you're running up on, you know, these, these tuna up on the surface, the same way you need this elk to get close enough, mm-hmm. you know, to a 25, 35 yard shot with a bow and arrow for you. Yeah. You know, so it's the same, it's the same kind of thing where it's, it's very up close and personal. Yeah, you know? exactly. So yeah. I think, I think as you mature as an outdoorsman in the hunting and the fishing world, it's like, you're looking for those experiences as much as possible. Like it starts with like, okay, mm-hmm. I don't really care. I can be far away or this, or this is exciting. But then like watching even like a largemouth unload on a frog or something. Yeah. Those are those, those are those moments that you want to have as many in your head when you. Uh, yeah. And that's my personal favorite way to mm-hmm. target largemouth. Frogging. Is with a yeah. frog. Yeah. You know, um, I said to Andy, the, the the saltwater scene that we deal with is is very chaotic. There's nothing about it that's peaceful. <laughs> it's just it's, it's insanely chaotic. It's, I love chaos. Yes, it's big horsepower, <laughs> big fish, big baits. Everything's big, fast paced. But then I come home here, back to Connecticut, and I'll take my kayak out two hours before sunset and be on a glass calm lake all by myself without a sound in the background and it's almost just as fun to me pitching frogs over pads or under yeah. tree limbs as it is blooping fishing in a whole different way yeah that's really you know? cool it's almost yeah, kind of like a sense. similar blow up though yes it's relative people are like you know well they don't make it you know they're that big well it's relative you know sure. a five pound bass is gonna look real big make it a full force on a frog yeah exactly. you know? So, um, yeah, it's incredible. I'd love to have you. Andy. I had a guy from uh, Adam, excuse me. I had a guy from uh, Colorado call me this morning. No way. Yeah. For a trip. Very cool. Um, yeah. And he wants to come out for five days. Because he saw some videos on YouTube too. And he's like, I got to do that. He's like, that's incredible. <laughs> five days is an expensive week with you. Yeah. But like the guys who come <laughs> out from the other side, they come out with um, two or three guys and it takes them almost a day to get there. Sure. You know, by the time they land in Logan mm-hmm. and they drive two hours, it's worth it. Back, a lot of them will do like three days, you know, because with the volatility of Northeast offshore weather, there's a lot of time we're not going to fish for three days. Mm-hmm. We'll fish two. Mm-hmm. One. Luckily we get same three. way. You know, yeah, I understand those pains, right? Yeah, on the Great Lakes, you guys have some substantial winds. You know, especially in the summer when your your dominant wind is west. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so here's a little low key tip for you: what? every season, our wind is west. Is it really? It never it, changes. It blows right up Lake Erie all year round. We have a predominant southwest wind. Southwest in- wind is a winter is a summer wind. And our winter wind as well. Oh, really? It never changes. Yeah. Oh, wow. It okay. almost never changes. Like any front that comes through, unless we get like a nor'easter, then we'll get like a north wind or an east wind or like a hurricane moving up a coast. But almost always it's a southwest wind unless we're on the backside of the front. Yeah. Yeah. In the summer, predominantly because the southwest is your warmest wind. 
Yeah. Um, our, our southwest wind will usually hang around till mid-September. And then once we start getting into those easterly blows, those northeasterly blows, that's what will that's what'll keep you off the water. You know, because I'm in a pretty specialized mm-hmm. form of tuna fishing where I can't be pounding around in four-footers. You know, we could see fish off in the distance, but I won't even get to them in time because I can't rip through four footers to go get to them. I so need you're to- wanting as calm yeah. of a day as possible to see those fish and get yes. to them as quick as possible. I want what you guys know this trap. I want a muskie chop. Yeah. On the water. You know, I don't want white caps and I don't want a glass calm. Fish get too smart when it's glass calm. They sure. can see too much and hear too much. I want, you know, in a in an oddly t- odd term, I want like six inches. Yeah. Six inches to a <laughs> You know? <laughs> I'm gonna start using that, you right? Know, this jerk. Yeah. They're, they're not. They're not two to fours today. They're they're six inches to a footers. No, I just want just enough of a chop. On the, the perfect size. The perfect right. size. That big. That's all I want. You know, um, if I'm bait fishing, I don't care what it's like. You know, if sure. I'm bait fishing, we're just drifting mm. along. It doesn't matter to us. You know, rougher the better. Gotcha. You know, if you find the fish in rough water, just like any fishing is great in rough water. Mm-hmm. It's a matter of being mm-hmm. able to be out there. Right. It's a matter of being able to be out there. And if you find the fish, usually they're all fired up. You know, they're aggressive. The, ox- the water's oxygenated. The bait's confused. Uh-huh. And that's what the fish want. And it's you just want to be there when it happens. You know? Yeah. And hope clients don't get seasick. That too. Yeah. That, um... Probably half a dozen times a year, you know. Um, yeah. They usually don't want to go in. Uh, that's lower than I would expect. Me too. You know, expect they, that. they know a lot of the guys wear that little patch behind their ear. Yeah, I've heard uh, of that. It's yeah. like a nicotine yeah. patch, but for uh, yeah, you go to your doctor, you just describe, you know, you tell them you get like vertigo or you see sick, and it's just a patch. Um, and everybody wears it. You know, everybody wears it. So, um, some I, one of the biggest. I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but one of the reasons guys get seasick is because they like starve themselves. I didn't know that they're just not yeah. eating and drinking enough or you just- have to eat. You know, if you're, if you're starving, all that stuff in your stomach's just going to keep going round and round and round and round. And it's going to get you sicker. Acid. Just like, just like when you're hungry, you know how you feel nauseous. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. Um, they got to eat. And I'm not talking, you're not going to eat, you know, carbonara, yeah. You know, you want like bread or crackers and just stuff to fill yourself, your stomach up. And it usually makes everybody feel better once they start eating, you know, so yeah. just save, the, save the trip because trips aren't fun when everybody's sick, you know, nobody's like PB and J best boat snack. Yeah. Ever. A little bit of sugar, a little bit of carb and a little bit of protein. Yeah. You know, PB&J for life. Yeah. Right. Primo. That's awesome. Well, that's good to know. I mean, cause you think about it, right? Like, especially if someone has had past sea sickness issues they're like well i'm not gonna eat i don't want to be throwing up right food and it's like right. no you need to eat it's like no eat. you're still gonna eat because you're gonna try to throw up nothing's gonna come up you'll just be dry heaving all day that's just worse <laughs> and that's even worse because yeah. it hurts <sighs> you know and all the acid in your throat from dry- yeah Ugh. and a lot of it's anxiety too i think guys get it from yeah because they're just so fired up with anxiety they have these expectations before we go out and those expectations really, oh, they put a damper on me. No doubt. These guys have this idea of what's going to happen out here before we even get out. And I'm like, man, I really got to come through today. You know? So many so many guys, and, and we're talking about you two both being guides here. Like so many guys in the tournament fishing world talk about like, 
man, going to fish a tournament now is easy because I don't feel the pressure that I do guiding when I have some guy that's flown across the country right. is expecting to catch this trophy seven pound smallmouth, And I, he's got three days to do it. And I want to put him on that versus it's like, Oh, it's just, it's just pressure to myself in a tournament. So I, that's a real thing with guides, man. No doubt. What do you, what do you think mm-hmm. Andy about that? Oh, I agree. Um, every, every, every day that I have a trip, I'm, I don't sleep the night before. I can sleep for 14 hours before a tournament. I hardly sleep the night before. Because I'm like, where are the fish going to be tomorrow? They're here today, but they're smallmouth and they move so much. So I have like plant A, B, C, D, E, F, and sometimes H and J, like all the way through the alphabet ready to go. But I can usually tell what's going on when I get there. But the first three spots don't work out. I'm like, oh God, what am I going to (laughs) do? Yeah. But usually we can figure something out. Yeah, but a tournament doesn't all it, a tournament doesn't give you the same anxiety or um, stress, if you will. No. Um. So it's kind of funny. I'm great until I get on the water for a tournament, and the I'm I'm spinning until I get the first fish in the boat. Then I'm right back to like. <laughs> yeah, you're always because right, the grass is greener over there. The grass is green over yeah. there. I'm not catching them here. What am I missing? It's going Correct. on somewhere, and I want to be there. And that's not here. So where do I go? Yeah. You know, I feel the same way. Or is it in 10 minutes? Or is it in an hour? Do I just have to suck it out? Right. And then, it's always that first bite. So, yeah. Right. Or am I sitting in this spot waiting for it to turn on, and it's never going to turn on, and I'm wasting half of my tournament time right now? A lot of so, seconds. Well, you just said that. Trust your gut at that point. My wife like, tells me all the time. She's I can't like, tell you how many times. Trust your gut. Mm-hmm. That's what she said, and I yeah. and I do it, and it, it tends to work. Yeah, I can't tell you how many times I pulled in on an area in a tournament and not even stood up because I look over. I'm like, "Yep, this ain't it," and I'll just leave and go somewhere else. Yeah, even though I wasted 20 minutes running there, I'm like, "Yeah, I'm not gonna make five casts to waste any more time." Right, so, you just yeah you, that you just I don't know you if you've had similar it. experiences, Adam. Yeah, you, yeah. Just, you just don't feel it. You know, it's the same thing happens with steelhead fishing. You know, I can come into a pool, mm-hmm. and you could run two of the three of the best things you use through that pool. After ten casts, you're like, yeah, there, there might be a couple here, but I'm not going to struggle to try to figure out what they want. I'm going on the next pool where I can find yeah. some hungrier ones. You know, correct. Yep, it's all relative. <laughs> and, right. and like to me too, like the. uh the reason you you should really, really try and entrust that instinctual and that gut side of things is because even if you're like, oh man, I made a 25 minute run and say it's a team tournament, your buddy's like, hey, we should probably fish here. Like we are, we're already down here. The problem is if you have that preconceived notion when you get there that it's not feeling right, you're not going to fish well. You're it's not going to fish well. It's the same with a lure. Nope. Yeah. It's, it's the same with a certain lure. Mm-hmm. If you just don't have the confidence in that lure... You're not going to use it right. No, you're not going to care. You're going to get lazy. Right. Yeah. You know, you'd rather use something that's not as effective with more confidence in my mind. I agree. Because you'll fish it better. You know, 100%. Well, dude, let's dig into um, especially just running charters and having these clients from all over come. And I mean, how important is the hook in that situation, especially when dealing with a bluefin tuna. 
Oh, the hook's everything. I mean, the, your entire link to the fish is that one little piece of metal at the end over there. Sorry about that. Mm -hmm. And it's if it's not what I consider to be the best, or you know, in if it's proved itself to yield the best results over time, I, I have to look for something different. Yeah. You know? Um, I don't. I don't want to be the norm when it comes to landing tuna. I want to be the standard that people are trying to meet. You know, and since these newer hooks, these I started using them about five years ago. My my hookup land ratios just it's gone to almost an unbelievable um, percentage. You know, I, I don't even like to talk about it too much because you know it, it's it's hard it's hard to believe. It's even hard for me to believe. You know, but I think I found a pretty foolproof way of hooking these fish on bait and just knowing that I own them the minute the rod falls over. There's no chance of them getting off, you know, and that's the security that I need with these clients. Like you said, Adam, they come from all over the world, all over the country. They spend tens of thousands of dollars to get here. And I need to capitalize on sometimes not going to be too many chances to make their trip the best they could have expected. Yeah. Yeah. You know, exactly. Well, dude, let's talk a little, let's dig into them. Um, I mean, really a lot of the show was to come on and talk about BKK hooks and how really they're making a push into this freshwater market in the U S freshwater market, which is again, what Andy and I, a lot of what we do play in, right. um, would love to kind of hear your background with BKK and how that relationship started for you and everything. Like you said, five years ago when you started using their hooks and uh, kind of the, the saltwater scene with it all and, and kind of just let you roll with, with your thoughts on BKK. All right. Um, I started using their hooks about five years ago. Okay. Um, I don't like, uh, I, I wanted to try something different, you know, and BKK really didn't have a name in the United States. And I was just doing some research on the hooks that are used, you know, in the Mediterranean a lot because the Mediterranean has a huge population of wintering bluefin. And BKK hooks was, was a very popular hook out there. So I ordered some. We started trying them out. Um, and then an, um, a friend of mine, Johnny Brooks, he runs uh, the YouTube page Froth Cafe. Yeah. And he came over. He fished with me and Jason Ward. Jason is the owner of Siren Lures. Um, Siren Lures are probably some of the most sought-after topwater lures in the world for um, big game. Okay. And we fished for three or four days, and Johnny introduced me to some newer models of hooks from the Australian market where he is. And um, we found that it was it was a no-brainer. You know, um, one thing that we, we we find in the saltwater market here in the United States is a lot of the hooks rust. Sure. They rust quickly. Um, and as a charter guy, one of the things I'm looking at all the time is presentation that my lures, my boat, my gear, me, everything looks top notch. Mm -hmm. It has to look the part because we are the part. So even though these hooks will be used for two, three weeks on a lure, they'll have this tarnish on them. And structurally, they're completely fine. Mm -hmm. But these, these, my clients can't get on the boat and see any sort of rust on any hook when we're targeting these fish. So um, BKKs, 
the two hooks that we tend to use are um, the Raptor Z, which is a treble hook, and then the Viper 41, which is another one of their treble hooks. Okay. Um, two of them are uh, – both of those hooks are completely capable of landing any bluefin on the planet. The Raptor Z is a much thicker gauge of a hook, um, but the Viper 41 is a little bit of a less pro- smaller profile for your smaller lures, um, but equally as strong. Um, and we've uh, we've experienced no rust on these hooks whatsoever. None. We'll have a slight tarnish. Zero tarnish. Yeah, a little tarnish, um, you know, like a little oxidation, which yeah. I don't mind because I'm not a fan of shine on, on hooks. Mm. I prefer hooks to be a little bit duller. Um, but the, the market that BKK, uh, the hooks, the products that they have um, – I think are going to revolutionize what we've done in this country so far in the saltwater industry. Wow. You know, it's going to show us stuff that, that we haven't had, you know, um, one of my biggest things that I'm an advocate for circle hooks. Okay. I only use circle hooks when I'm using bait. bait um, fishing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Only use circle hooks. I think one of the hesitancies people have, on switching over to circle hooks is they're they're not sure how to use them. They're not sure how to rig. They're not sure how to set the hook. They're just not sure what to do. So if they have a bad experience once or even twice with a circle hook, people tend to, no, I don't want to use them. I'm going to go right back to what I know because it has worked. Even though I'm a little bit less than a 50% hookup lose ratio, I'm still going to use them. Um, uh, one of the biggest things with tuna is you're chafing a lot of fish off. Okay. <laughs> because they all have big teeth. They have these small little tiny teeth, but they have their very sharp bone jaw. And the line on a swallowed hook will rub back and forth constantly. Sure. They fight. They could go 45 minutes, two, three, four hours. And eventually it's going to chafe you off. Um, a lot of the guys with J hooks, the fish will swallow the hook completely. And no matter which way that fish swims, turns up and down, he's gonna the line's gonna be rubbing. So, what were you gonna say, Ed? Oh, I was just saying it pops off because it chases. Yeah, it just chased, it chased right off. And what happens when that happens is the guys try to go up and pound test for their leader in order to help the chafe or make it take longer to chafe. Sure. But what that does is it brings your bite number down. Sure, you lose your percentage of bites because you lose your percentage of bites. So it's it's a catch twenty two. Um, when I use circle hooks, I'm usually using a ten o um, inline circle hook, so there's no offset to it whatsoever. Interesting. And, and, well, the, the offset circle hook. If you think about the the physics behind a circle hook, an offset absolutely does nothing. Mm-hmm. It actually brings down. Um, it takes away the advantage of what a circle hook does. It's sliding. No, it catches anywhere. So the offset is 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 so offset where even if it's in the mouth deep, it's going to catch on the way out. It's mm-hmm. not going to get to the hinge in time. That's why they don't allow um, offset circles in tournaments. I see. Um, because it's just the point of a circle is to – get to the corner of the mouth, get to the hinge. And one of the issues is people don't give the line time to find the corner 
of the mouth. So when when we used to fish J hooks for tuna, we'd fish some pretty serious drag. We'd fish 30, 40 pounds of drag on strike. So when the fish took off, by the time you came tight to the rod, the rod would fold and would set the hook for you. Wherever sure. that hook landed, it landed. With the circle hook, I almost fish basically free spool. Really? Yeah, like two to three pounds of line. A drag just enough line so that when the fish takes it, it doesn't backlash my reel. And then as the fish starts running with it, I slowly go up on the drag real slowly. And what that does is it gives that line perfect time to find its way. If it gets caught on anything on the rake or the, the jaw, it has time to find the corner of the mouth. Interesting. And then once it finds the corner of the mouth, it, you're going to pierce that fish. And you can tell because when a fish is running, you can tell when that hook pierces because the run, because you get the big, head, the big shakes. head shakes and the run speed almost doubles. And in a lot of the videos that I've posted, you'll see me the minute that rod falls and that fish starts running, I'll walk away from the rod because I know that it doesn't matter what a customer does after that. You're the good. hook's not going anywhere. Wow. You know, and I can, I can drop my pound test. I can fish lighter pound. Um, and then it's great for the catch and release. I'm a big advocate for catch and release for bluefin. Mm-hmm. It's, it's one of the most sought after fish in the world. So the bluefin has to have some sort of um, friend. Aspect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Friend in the angling industry yeah. wants to enjoy its time with the bluefin, but it, but it be able to let it go, you know. Um, and I don't I don't like people keeping more than they can eat or you know use in a reasonable amount of time. Sure. Um, so you know whatever the state's rules are, the government's rules are as far as um, you know creel limits. You know we tend to either lower those on my boat. Um, but I let a lot of giants go and it's very, very easy to do that with a circle hook. Mm. You know, that's one of the other reasons I use them. So I've been trying to help some guys over the past couple of years, trying to figure out why, you know, the hookup ratio is so good on our boat versus their boat. And I'm showing them why, and it's working out. And if we all make ourselves better fishermen, you know, we can, do our part in helping me, you know, sustain this fishery out there. No doubt. You know, so, yeah. um, yeah, just a, just a, just a good quality product. You know, they're one of the only hooks on the market that have a completely closed eye too. I hate that. I hate when an eye is not completely closed. Right. And I've had a couple of different manufacturers where, especially like light line drop shot in six pound or, mm-hmm. or something like that. And it'll slide out and yeah. you're like, <laughs> what just <Yeah>. happened <laughs> right and we use chafe gear we used to use, I, I don't use it anymore but we used to use chafe gear so that little sleeve of plastic that we'd put over our line mm-hmm. before we crimped it onto our hook and i think what i've never really understood what a thin little piece of plastic is going to do to protect a big thick piece of plastic to be honest with you yeah um but i think it was because the a little the slight gap that was in between where the eye didn't close all the way would get rubbed and it might nick it eventually. Mm-hmm. See, BKK closes all their hooks completely and they're actually welded or soldered shut. It's crazy. You know, it's a completely closed eye. So there's no point in chafe gear. So that takes one level of rigging out of the equation. It makes everything quicker and easier. 
less expense, you know, which anything yeah. in bluefin tuna fishing, if you can mm-hmm. decrease your expense at all, it's <laughs> beneficial because it's the most expensive fishery in, in the, in the, in the country. Yeah. You know, that's crazy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, what do you guys do? Do you guys ever fish bait? Go ahead, Andy. I do not, but I have live fish, like live bait fish for like perch and stuff, but not usually for bass. Yeah. I'm almost all artificial, unless they're trout fishing, then I'll use bait, mm-hmm. you know, eggs, yeah. salted minnows, et cetera. Right. And I, and I was never a fan of um, circle hooks for freshwater. Hmm. I just, I, I never found the gap between the eye and the shank of the hook to be big enough to be effective in fresh water. Go down in Florida when they use like the eight or nine inch bass, bass, uh, bass shiners, they Mm -hmm. use circle hooks on their balloon rigs. Yeah. That's, that's similar because you don't have to set the hook with them. They just tell their clients to reel and that hook sets itself. Right. See the largemouth thing though. I, you know, if I was doing that, I'd probably be doing the same thing because from a recreational standpoint versus a charter standpoint, they're two totally different mindsets. Sure. Cause you have mm-hmm. to do stuff and prepare your, your, your trip for a person that probably doesn't have the same experience that you have. And you can't expect them to have the same experience you have because that's why they're hiring you. So you want to, in my mind, I want to show them the correct way, you know, that, that targeting these, you know, these fish, appropriately and successfully in a way. Um, but the largemouth bass thing, and like you were saying was, I mean, those fish down there are huge, aren't they? Yeah. Florida's got, Florida's got some big, mm-hmm. they're catching seven, eight, nine. Right. So I mean, eight pounder, pounders on live bait rigs, right. An eight pounder, you could put your entire hand plus some down their throat and pull any single hook out possible by flipping it backwards. Yeah. You yeah. know, I mean, Yeah. And those are those are my. I, I know. Um, growing up as a kid, anything, anything five pounds and over. If I was able to put my entire fist in its mouth, That's for big. a large mouth was five pounds. Yeah, you know That's that was awesome. my that was my yeah, limit. That, yeah, that's how oh, I knew. You know? awesome. Well, right. as as far as uh, like the saltwater kind of market goes, I'm just curious too, and the difference is, I'd like to get kind of Andy your opinion on this too. But Matt, uh, as far as the saltwater stuff goes. I mean, we have these, there's like, realistically, there's only a couple of players in the hook market, the hook world, right? In comparison to like tackle or different, different, or like baits actually. And those kinds of Mm -hmm. things, there's always like these small companies you see kind of jump in and try in the freshwater market that seem to be new and this and that, but there's like a few established hook makers that have been around a really long time. And I'm just curious your thoughts currently, whether that be in the U.S. saltwater market or also just the the world market, where do you kind of see different brands lining up? Um, I I think a lot of them make – I mean, Andy, you take this. Well, Andy, too, I mean, then Andy on like the freshwater side of things, like for Bass World, I'm just curious your thoughts. Your thoughts too. Like, I mean, I kind of have my own opinions on what hooks I like and what I don't like and what seem to be sold the most places. But I mean, I think they're I think they're all good hooks. Yeah. You know, each each brand or each company, they bring a different 
element to the market. And, Mm -hmm. you know, each particular angler or fisherman has their own ideas of what they like or what Mm -hmm. they think is appropriate for that style of fishing. And not to say one hook's better than the other, sure. because that's that's not the case. I mean, one hook might might be, you know, a little bit better quality than the other one, mm-hmm. but each hook has its own place, you know, in a particular market. Sure, you know, um, just like you know, you got you know a Honda and a Toyota. They're both great cars, but one person just might prefer one over the other one for reasons that we, you know, as individuals wouldn't even understand. You know, um, all the hooks on the on our market. I mean, remember the hooks using as a kid? My father used to buy me. Remember that paper sleeve? Yeah. That, that would have the leader. Yeah. And it yeah. had the, the smells. With the eagle the claws. Yeah. 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 Right. Claws. And you it had you right took one hook out and hooks. the entire pack got destroyed. Yeah. Because it would tie, it would, it would nard them. But yep. that's what I used to carry this little folder around with me when mm-hmm. I was a kid, you know? And those hooks back then, they worked fine for us. Oh, yeah. You know, yep. this big gaudy hook with this big They're drop, this great. knot on the end of it. And those work fine for us. And now the fishermen at our levels, we can make the best out of any product that's put in our hands. We'll find a way to make the best out of it. You know, um, so the the I think with the quality of hooks that people are looking for is. And I think it's also a lot of trial and error. People are just tired of using a new hook and they want to try something new. They want to try something different. See why, what the hype is. You know, um, I've always used in freshwater, in my mind, freshwater, um, the the sh- the share of the, the hooks in this country, the freshwater, goes to Gamagatsu, correct? I think so. I don't I don't I don't have any numbers yeah. or anything to go off of, but I feel like when I walk into a sporting goods store or you think through of, of what most guys are using, it's going to be gummies a lot of the time. Right. Um, now, the, the VMC skills, is a big player, too. What, VMC? Mm-hmm. Yeah, VMC. All those hooks. Yeah. VMC in the fresh, freshwater bass market. Right, yeah. yeah. Um, now, steelhead's in a market all of, on its own. Mm-hmm. Because you add so many different, you know, Daiichi and, and Raven. I mean, you add so many different hooks into that market, which a lot of those hooks, they make fly hooks and steelhead hooks. They don't really branch out into much beyond that. Um, like Raven, for example. Doesn't Raven only make float hooks? It makes yeah, I don't even know what only, Raven is. Yeah, right. Raven. Yeah. It's an Ontario float fishing I company. See. Okay. And so they're only owned by Angling Specialties, I believe. And they virtually just do only float fishing products. Yeah, only center pin stuff from for steelhead. Right. Yeah. Um for leader to floats to they uh they have pins too, don't they? They have mm-hmm. reels, right? And rods. Yeah. Well, yep. The rods Rod. are good. I've used the Raven for years. Cool. You know, um, to, but to, I, go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. So to me, like I'm, I'm someone and Andy knows this. I'm just like a, uh, I get into details with tackle with everything. And like you said, kind of when you get to a certain level in fishing and your tournament fishing or whatever you're doing, you get to a point where you really want, you don't really care about saving a little bit of money to maybe use the best, the best gear 
Um, and, and I, when it comes to hooks, like I can't stand a couple of things. I can't stand a hook that rusts out easily, which is incredible because I'm in freshwater. And when stuff rusts out, like I can't imagine using that stuff in salt water. It would be incredibly quick how fast it would rust out. Um, so like rust is a big factor to me. You mean, uh, you mean by when you're using it, you want to avoid hooks that are rusty or are you talking about as in. If it snaps off, no, so, like when you set it down for a couple, like a couple days, it sits in your boat and has a little bit of moisture on it. Right, it rusts within like a day or two. Right, if I find yeah, it, there's, I find there it, are you guys even get rust in the fresh water. Isn't that crazy, man? I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I can't ever remember seeing rust. You know, we have it within a day. Yeah, we get some. We yeah. we get it within a day. I don't doubt that. Yeah. You know? I mean, super quick. Um, so you you were looking for a type of hook that would you know bring that down a little bit, so you wouldn't have to it wouldn't be wouldn't be a concern of yours. Yeah, like so to me, I I don't even now I won't even use hooks that I've that seen. Like there's certain brands, right? I'm not going to throw any brands under the bus, but there's certain brands that I seem to find more hooks rusting. Like when I go back to to go to my terminal box and. This brand never has any rust. This brand always has rust. And it's like, man, this is frustrating to me. I'm not going to buy those anymore because I'm sick of having to replace them. I'm worried about rust getting on other hooks in that box. Right. And then you have to separate the hooks because it almost jumps to the other hooks. And yeah. It infects yep. them. Yeah. And like, and there's some guys like, I mean, it's for like instance, mold. Right. It's like fungus. <laughs> And there's some guys in Andy will know like like a Gerald Swindle in Bassage. Like he's like, oh, there's a little rust on my hook. Like I'm gonna swing harder. Like I'm not gonna like there's some guys who don't care about those little dirty details. But to me, like I want that hook to slide into things and I don't want it to affect the uh, strength of that hook, right? With rust or whatever it may be. So like to me, my biggest factors when it comes to a high-end hook or what I want is I want no rust whatsoever. And I want something that has the research and kind of the angles on the hook for the specific bait for the right bait. If I'm flipping, I want it to be this sort of a hook. If I'm throwing a swim bait in a weedless swim bait, I want it to be a certain way. So like, I think, and even treble hooks, like I, it's just, like you said, it's a lot of trial and error, Matt, as far as to figure out what you really feel confident in. And that just makes you a better angler overall. Right. Um, And you have to be fishing in a productive place in order get to get you know you can't figure out if something works unless you're catching yeah mm-hmm. you know so um yeah i mean it takes a lot for a hook's integrity to be compromised by rust mm-hmm. i mean it takes a lot yeah you know i mean you could sit a hook down in your garage for a year two years and still go out and it still has the strength that it had before but like you said it's just a couple little more pounds of pressure you're going to have to use to drive that hook as far in as you need to be, mm-hmm. you know? And during a tournament, you're talking about one hook set. Yeah. It could make or break your entire tournament. 100%. Yep. You know? So, um, yeah, I mean, the I haven't, in, in this, in BKK, I haven't experienced, um, I've yet to actually experience rust. Wow. You know? At all. No. That's crazy. Yeah, it's one of the first brands. Um, you know, like the brand we just mentioned before, I find, you know, the small old blue and white packs mm-hmm. of them in the garage. And these things have never seen water and they're st- and they're rusty. 
Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm like, what's snuck mm-hmm. in that package to do Any that? Any little bit of moisture. Any little bit of moisture, <laughs> you know? Um, so, I mean, there is a, I, I do agree with, uh, we do a lot of the things when you're, when you're targeting the big tuna up at the Cape, you tend to lose fish and, and fish snap off. Um, and in my mind, one of the biggest misconceptions is people say all the time, oh, that's okay. That hook will rust out. You know, that hooks. It takes a long hooks, time. That hook's never going to rust out. Wow. Yeah. You always hear that. You hear yeah, that. It's never. Yeah. It's never. Because what are the two things? And do you know this? I know because you just said it, it's going to take a long time. What are the two things you need for rust? Air and water. Right. Right. Air. Air and moisture. Right. If it, if it, if it's underwater, she isn't going to be in the air. <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, you're finding ships that sunk 200 years ago. That's a good point. And they're still there. Those thick gauge tuna hooks are never rusting out of that fish's mouth. You know, might fall out. Right. It might might, might fall, fall out. out, and that's yeah. what and that's what you're hoping mm-hmm. for. When when um. When we've targeted extremely large giants on topwater plugs, these are these are fish that um, I normally wouldn't go after. Um, I'll switch out my hooks to striped bass hooks, and because what all we what we all want to do is we want the initial strike, we want the first run, we want the first jump from a large mouth or a small mouth, and then after that you're kind of like oh, I'm done. I'd yeah. rather skip from here to the next strike and yep. do it over again, yep. and that's what we want with the bluefin tuna. So. You know, cast into the feed, the first strike, the 600-pounder comes up and crashes on the plug, takes off like a Volkswagen. You're never going to stop it. And then when he goes down and dirty and you get straight vertical with him, you just cup the spool and you pull back and you straighten out the two bass hooks. I see. That are on I the see. lure and off he goes. So and then you bring the lure back in, you bend the hooks right back with your pliers and you cast out again. So the majority of what I consider to be the best part of the day we can do over and over and over again. Yeah. You know, and that's I don't, fun. That's cool. I've never yeah. heard of anyone doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't have to worry about, you know, hurting the fish. Quick release. Yeah. You know, that's all it is. I know guys who put their, their hooks on with zip ties um, and stuff. Oh, so it snaps it off. But yeah. then that hooks in their mouth. But then it, exactly. It leaves that hook on the fish. And Andy, you've seen it. I've seen it. Adam, we've, I've caught steelhead that, have rubbed their entire cheek down to the bone. Oh, because they have because there's head. one fly here in the corner of their mouth that they can't. Because you know how in all fish you have the bone that runs around the rake, and then you have that little piece of fat right there yep. in the corner that yep. you can't ever get the hook mm-hmm. out of. Oh, it's like you're sitting there, like, gosh, yeah, dang, you, you have to like <laughs> turn it backwards because it doesn't ever create a hole there. It's yeah. too like gummy. Yep. So if you get a, a hook in that a fly in that steelhead's mouth, I've seen them. They've rubbed their entire cheek down to the bone, trying to rub it out. Yeah. You know, and tuna as fast paced as they are, they're not going to be able to keep up with the other ones. You know, and eventually they'll fall behind. You know, and they'll be left behind because the school is only as fast as the slowest one. So, sure. yeah. You know, no, that's crazy. I mean, um, and just from everything in our prior discussions, as far as BKK is concerned, mm-hmm. moving into this freshwater market, I mean, they're bringing that 
exact quality and that high, high level of manufacturing and craftsmanship into a market that is, um, I mean, the freshwater U.S. market is booming right now. I mean, we're talking about there's just a lot going on in the fishing market um, and a lot of a lot of uh, issues with getting supplies and stuff. But it's cool to see. I love finding um, brands that are obsessed with quality. And it sounds like BKK is that way. Um, yeah, their attention to detail. Um, no, I can't speak for any other company. Because sure. I don't know the workings of it. I know the workings of theirs. Mm-hmm. Um, their attention to details is it, it should be everybody should have it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the they, yeah, they they care if you're gonna land fish or not based on their hook. And the thing about it is everybody who works there is a fisherman. Mm-hmm. So these aren't people that just wanted a job and they go in there and they're bending hooks and they're doing what they need. They're all fishermen. So they know why and when and how, you know, and their field testing team and their marketing team and their, you know, their ambassadors like me, we care too. And we want the best product out there. We want to show people the best product. That's why, you know, um, it's, it's a, I mean, the company has been around for, I think a little over a hundred years. Yeah. And, um, they're coming into what I consider, um, not only the, the saltwater industry to start with in the United States, but the freshwater bass industry in the United States, I think is the biggest market in the world. Yeah. And I, and I heard just with an interview the other day, um, I, I've heard like in all of the U S and I don't know if it was talking about the U S market or the world market, but like bass fishing makes up 70 to 80% of that market just because they're found everywhere. And, and I didn't know that. I didn't eat. told me this. Mm-hmm. And I said, this is a huge market you guys are going to go into. And I go, it's a big one. He goes, no, it's the biggest. Wow. You know, um, I mean, they're in the middle of building, you know, more, um, more facilities right now in order to produce more product because they want to be able to have the demand be met by the supply. They don't want to be behind. They want to be ahead, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it, I, I couldn't even imagine what they're going through. That's an, this is an intimidating market to go into. It's almost in my mind, we have somewhat of a saturated market. Mm-hmm. I agree. You know? um, and this is another, you know, brand coming in here that they're not starting from scratch. I mean, that's been a- the difference I think is that yeah. it's a completely like it's what's, what's interesting. Yeah. Like you said, uh, it's, it's a different thing because a lot of times when you see a new entrance into a market, it's a brand that it hasn't been there before right. and they're struggling with funds and this and that, but right. coming from a background of doing this just in a different market and sure there's going to be nuances here and there. I just feel like you have the capital and the ability to go in full force to capitalize mm-hmm. you know um like booyah frogs right yeah. when they came to market were they fairly new like pad crashers and this might be a question for andy i'm not 100 sure with like as far as like when booyah frogs, just a, just the brand booyah or the or the Boo- booyah frog well, well booyah or frogs in general no frogs in general i've been using like, for 40 years so the frogs 40 okay. years ago when I was using so, yeah. so the Scum frogs. 
Yeah, yeah they, were just, it was like they were just the pathetic. Only. They were yellow and black, and they were they were they were pathetic looking. You know, they always filled up with water. You know, <laughs> and squeeze them out at the end of every cast, and then cast them back out again. When the booyah yeah. frog came in the market, I went and bought a couple of them, and I was waiting for them to fill up with water and have the hook puncture the shell and everything, and they never did it. Mm-hmm. You know, but I had never seen them before that, and I sure. bought them because their packaging looked fantastic. Mm-hmm. And their quality looks great. And I mean, some of these frogs, I've had hundreds of fish on this one frog and it uh, barely has any color left on it, but it still stood the test of time, you know? Yeah. Um, but was that a company that came into a market from the start? Because the frog market was very saturated as it was. Mm. And now they own the market share of it, don't they? Pretty no, much? I- I think they've got a good. A uh, good yeah, so let's go Spro, Spro Booyah. So they weren't a frog company first. I believe the first line of baits they launched are actually spinner baits and buzz baits, mm-hmm. and then they kind of branched up from there. Then they purchased Excalibur, um, like the old XD fifty seventy fives, which are some of the most highly sought after rattle baits, like okay. in the United States. Um, they purchased that company. And that gained them more foothold. And then shortly after they purchased Excalibur, that's when they launched the Booyah Pad Crashers. Okay. I see. Yeah. I was just, I was thinking of so another example. Of they just a, kind of. A, a company that came into a saturated market. Sure. And dominated the market in my mind with their, um, their fantastic product. You know what I mean? Yeah. I would say like in the frog market, there's like two big players and that's Booyah and Spro as like the, the front runners. And then there's a lot of good yeah. small companies, but I'd agree yeah. that those two own the market. Yeah. Now see, I didn't even know Spro made a frog. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Spro is probably the number one selling frog in the U S and now what do you, what they have do you like 75 different colors. Now what do you personally think about which one would you be? Let's hear it, Andy. What do you like? If I had to choose between Booyah and Spro, I would probably go Spro. Why? Because I think they're a little softer. They're a little softer. They're, um, they cast a little better. They're weighted better. I'm, uh, I can get the walk easier. But my frog that I actually use is a Stanford. It has like a weird frog skin on the top of it. You like those Stanfords, do you? I love those frogs. Yeah, yeah they're good. They're super soft. They they um, fold So they in feel like more of a frog when the fish grab them. I think they have They'll hold on to them longer, you mean? Yep. Okay. So, so it's not even so much that – so a lot of frogs are smooth. The Stanford has like a fur Velcro on the top of it. So in the teeth of a, a bass – Small teeth, yeah. It, it actually like sticks to their it. teeth. Yeah, like sandpaper will yeah. grab, and then the hook penetrates better. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. I like them a lot. And then um, the Jackal IOB frog is another favorite. Yeah, yeah the Jackal I've heard of too. Really hard to find. So that's, that's interesting – Andy, well, the jackals. I mean, I never. I, I'm starting to really actually like smaller frogs. I feel like I get a better hookup ratio, even if it's a really big fish. Yeah. Um, I just feel jackal like, Kara is a frog you want. Okay, the Kara. And I used to trim the tails on mm-hmm. the frogs too. I never wanted them super yep. long, like they made them. Yeah, because the fish yeah. are going to grab the tails. Yes, yeah, so 100%. I'll. I trim them, and each the right side will be shorter than it's the left side, so I can make it yep. walk better. Yep. Oh, is that is that really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, so you almost get yeah. it like a spook? Exactly. Like, like a head exactly. or something, really? Okay. Yeah. You can, yeah. No, yeah. So rod tip down, knocking it on slack braid, it'll cause it to go back and forth yeah. instead of hop, 
like up and down. But frogs yeah. don't do that. But it doesn't matter. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it doesn't crush it. <laughs> I I swear part of the time, I mean, like frog fishing just in general, like to me is best when I'm around bluegill and I'm around stuff that isn't necessarily a frog, but it's mimicking like bluegill uh, kind of sucking the top of the water on pads and stuff. And um, I think that's some of my best frog bites have been when like I, I'm starting to hear that sucking and I'm hearing bluegill around like it's going to be a good frog day. Isn't it amazing that, you know, when we catch tuna on top water, usually if they're going to hit top water, they're going to hit top water. Mm -hmm. But you have all these different baits with large mouth and usually only one of them is going to work. So a buzz bait is not going to work when a frog's going to work. A hula popper is not going to work either. And a jitterbug is not going to work either. They're all different and a, and a, and a heading like a spook. Most of the time I see the frogs working at the same time as a hula popper would work, but then your buzz bait grabs an entirely different um, mood of a fish. Yeah, yeah. You know? um, hula poppers mm -hmm. are, are a great bait, and if I had more patience to use a hula pop, or not, uh, yeah, hula popper, I'd probably be more successful with it. But a cast for me, yeah, I, I can't. Have I haven't thrown a hula popper in probably fifteen years. Yeah, and you know what? They work incredible, and they still work fine. Yeah, right. But I, <laughs> but I can't have a cast go four minutes. You know what I mean? I, I can't. Yeah. I want to be on. I want to be on to the next cast. <laughs> you know, so jitterbugs and buzzbaits. Uh, yeah. I love. When I was younger, my dad caught so many big bass on jitterbugs and hula poppers. It was incredible. Black, like I black like, vividly too. remember a lot of it. Yeah, black jitterbugs. Yeah. Always black. Always, Always black, yeah. And I don't know why, too, because, you know, with straight bass fishing, we'd only fish black on the darkest nights. And we'd always fish um, the, the lightest colors, pearl and, you know, white, on the, on the brightest nights because of the silhouette. Mm -hmm. Sure. So black to me, you know, I, I never understood why the jitterbug – I always thought white would be the best jitterbug color, but it was always black, you know. Maybe that's because of what they saw through the bubble trail that the jitterbug was sitting in. You know, who knows? Yeah. Who knows? I just think black's a good color, man. I don't know why, but it just everywhere it seems. In general. water, muddy water, like their bass will eat black. Even with any plastics. If I were to pick one color rubber worm, it would always be black. Yeah. It'd be like green pumpkin or black for me. Right. Yeah. Olive oil or, or uh, motor oil. Or, you know, like you said, green pumpkin, mm -hmm. you know, or black, darker the colors. I never did good on the purples or the pinks or <laughs> any of those colors, you know? Exactly. exactly. So, so what do you guys see happening in the freshwater market um, when BKK comes here? Man, I'm, I'm excited to see. Like, as I think it's going to take a minute. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, because... Bass fishermen are so tried and true in what they believe in that it's going to take some major influencers to change people's minds. But all, as soon as one person in the group likes them, all fishermen, all are. the entire group will like them. Yeah. All fishermen are tend to be creatures of habit. 100%. You know, I um, use the same line company. I will like since I got into fishing because I haven't had issues with it. Like sure. Every once in a while I try something else, but I'm going to use what I have tried and true. 
and I'm the same way with hooks, you know? So that's a good point, Andy, as far as like, it, it seems, um, you know, like you said, attacking that market with influencers. I mean, and we've, I've seen BKK hooks on the side of Oliver Nye's boat or on the side of, uh, who's the Italian guy that won last year? Uh, Oh, Jacobo. Yeah, yeah, I saw I Jacobo. saw BKK hooks on the side of his back. Yeah. So like some of those like high level guys that really talk about it and I think uh can showcase the the difference in quality. I think that those are big big factors in it all. But I agree, like that's a good point that you guys both are saying is like fishermen are are uh we like our ways. <laughs> we don't like changing. We like our ways, we don't like changing, but when we see somebody else who's as successful in the field as we are doing it equally, if not better with the same mm-hmm. tactics. Why not? You know, like, like, like I've been using the same hook steelhead fishing forever for 12 years or so. Andy's been pretty diehard with the hooks he's been using over the course of two weeks, three weeks, me and Andy started experimenting with a new hook and we were sold. Two trips. Sold. You know, really? Yeah. So that BKK hook, steelhead hook. Yeah. Um, I think I lost one fish out of like 20 that I hooked when I went to BKK. Yeah. No way. And we can't explain, we can't explain why. I mean, other than being razor blades, very thin diameter, like you were saying, Adam, for the easier penetration on sure. the hook set. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it has like a nano coating on it too. So it's it yes. penetrates super easy. Yeah, yeah. A lot of their hooks have Teflon coating. Mm. on them they do it for strength and um you know anti-rust corrosion proof sure um but when they see like overseas you know um is it japan that's really really big with largemouth fishing oh yeah right yeah yeah they use a lot of bkk hooks in that industry over there Mm. in the in that in that um market you know so i think influencers um and guys that are big in that industry in countries like that it's easier to to see over here once they say, oh, okay, well, that's not a brand new hook. This company didn't just build themselves, you know, two years ago. 100%. Who else mm-hmm. uses this? You know, um, I think it will be quicker. The reason I think, like Andy said, it might take a minute is because the size mm-hmm. of, of this market. Sure. I mean, it's how big it is. Right. It would take years to saturate this market. You know, well, and and to your point, as far as like what I've noticed, and Andy, feel free to jump in on the bass side of things with this, but like we see the majority of new techniques and new baits and stuff first happen in Japan, and then it works its way over to the U.S. Yeah, people catch on. So I think that, yeah, and I think that's a huge, huge bump for BKK. And then uh, the other thing we're starting to see, I mean, on the Elite Series. Um, the highest level of tournament bass fishing, or one of them, I guess, technically right now. But the Japanese anglers that are coming and risking their, their entire livelihood to come and try and make it to that level, there is a lot of Japanese anglers now uh, in the Elite Series. I mean, there's in this country, five, yeah, five or six of them. And, yeah. then, and then there's five or six, and Major League yeah. Fishing too. The other side of the the professional bass world, the highest level there, you've got Shin Fukai. There's you've another got like three or four. Or you've five. got you've got a good amount of Japanese anglers over here that are phenomenal, and uh, that's going to help things too. 
Yeah, and when you see guys like that that are coming over here that have used these hooks for years and years, and they start coming over here and winning tournaments, yeah, you know, against guys who have never heard of this product, you're like, what in the world? You know? Exactly. And and I mean, fishermen tend to be um, stubborn, but as we all know, the best fishermen out there are the ones with an open mind and open ear, and you know that are willing to listen and learn. Because as much as we fish, we have to be adaptable, right? We have to evolve with an ever-changing fishery, you know, with pressure, um, with, you know, changing environments and we have to adapt and we have to learn. And, you know, it, me and Andy fish together. He's been steelhead fishing. I've been steelhead fishing. We both bring different things to the game. And what we do is we take a little bit here and we take a little bit there from what each of each of us know makes us both a better fisherman, you know? And that's part of what I think a lot of the bass fishermen here in this country are going to see when these guys from other countries that have been using these hooks for 20 years are going to come over here and they're going to see, you know, what makes them just one step better. And is it confidence? You know, is it, it, it it's a combination of all those things. Sure. Sure. You know? So, um, just the size. I don't think, I don't think, uh, yeah, I don't think there's a bigger market. I just think it's the sheer size. I mean, how many tackle stores are in this country that sell largemouth bass hooks? I, get I mean, I mean, is <laughs> almost every tackle shop, right? Yeah, not and not even just tackle shops. Every Walmart, every Walmart, every Target, every you know, yeah, yeah. every everything, you know. So, um, you know, even gas stations. Yeah, you know? I mean, upstate New York is all gas stations that sell your tackle. <laughs> you know, so um, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of wild. Yeah, it's going to be an undertaking, but I think it's going to be um, – what I do think is it's going to add an element to the hooks that we have here where they – it's a little bit of warning to them. Like, I, you guys should probably step up your game a little That's bit because we're yeah. coming in and we're coming in hot. And you better step up your game or we're just going to – we're going to put you down, you know. And um, it, it'll probably be good for our market. Yeah. You know? It's good to have shakeups. Yeah, Adam, I won't lie; they are good hooks. Yeah, yeah. I'm um, excited. I, I I can't wait to uh, looking through the catalog. I would like to uh, try some of these hooks, man. I like the uh, the adjustable weight weedless swim bait one. I've always found like you know a certain weight, and then you're like, oh, I want my swim bait to be higher in the water column around these pads, right. whatever it may be. That's cool. And, and what were you saying, Andy, about the one um, on the swim bait hook? The one uh, the 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 bait stopper. That they have on the belly of the hook, they have that one bait stopper there that no other swim bait hook. Plastic. Yeah, that no other swim bait hook has. Now I'm curious. I know what you're talking about. It's completely escaping my mind at the moment. Yeah, because I remember looking at it in the catalog and be like, "Wow, that's nice." Yeah. I, I don't remember offhand. It's the it's the simple. Let me see if I can find it for you guys. It's the simple, um, little details. That's gonna make um, that's gonna make the hook stand out. Let's see if I can find this for you. It's gonna make the hook stand out above and beyond all the other ones. Yeah, I'm no. curious. I'm looking. If I had my computer, I would pull it up, but I don't. I was gonna say I might be able so to pull it, pull it up. Screen here. I'll get it right here. Let's see. It's a 133 page catalog. Yeah, it's a big catalog. All the treble hooks that look wicked to me. Yeah. The fangs. Oh, I heard they're from 
Oh, he said they're insanely sharp. Yeah, they're almost yeah, they're, they're dangerous. Um, I've been I've been experimenting with a lot of um, uh, barbless hooks past couple of years. Are you saying on on a? Well, that's tank? a big thing for the saltwater market. So here, let's see if you guys can see this. Oh, I think I see it here. Oh, the little the little piece of plastic on the back. Yeah. Can you see? Yeah. So that one, yeah, so that's what I was talking about. So when you put your swim bait onto the hook, it um it will stop it from sliding down. Right. You know how some swim bait hooks like that, Adam, the, the swim bait, like the hook point will continually rise up. That'll help keep that bait pinned at a certain location when you're ripping it through weeds. Did so you, you see don't it, Adam? Get hung up. Yeah, so here I've got it. I'm gonna see if I can, I can figure this out here. I'm gonna pull up the uh the Titan Diver and the Titan Rider. Here we go. Let's try this. Watch this. Oh, we got an Xfinity Mobile. There we go. Here we go. So <laughs> zoom in. Nice. So look, right. you're talking about this guy right here. Correct. That is super yep. wicked. Yeah, I've never seen that either. Uh, I've seen guys like yeah. put little pieces of um, rubber on their hook to try and keep that swim bait up. Or yeah. Um, yeah, because your swim bait will kind of after a couple of fish, especially with like a Kitek or something that's a real soft plastic, it'll just slip right through, and then you're you're stuck. So, that's and this will be able if you guys notice the hook point on those goes from the the last bend towards the hook point. You could tell it goes down ever so slightly. Yep. Yeah, so that it will sit weedless. The whole time because it wants to hug the bait. It yeah, doesn't want to ever crap. stick up. And they do it in such a way where that hook, that bait keeper is going to keep that hook up. perfect. You know? So you see the eye on the bottom of the weight here? Yep. Adam, well, that's yeah, 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 yeah. Way down here. Blades. Yeah. So that's for your blades. Oh, that's cool. So you can yeah, so bag draft yeah. freestyle. Yeah. That hook would yep. be killer on Deacon. Yeah, so yeah, Colorado blades, copper, silver. You know, um, go. What page are you on right there? Uh, eighty-four and eighty-five. Okay, go back one page. Yeah, see there you are. Yeah, yeah, so flashy we, like uh, there's a couple like of a flashy, flashy swimmer, swimmer. The owner, yep. Yep. yeah, the owner, flashy swimmer. I use that thing a lot. That's right. Cool. And all that is is all that is is the attachment on the weight itself. That's not on the hook. Mm-hmm. So you could take the, the the blade right off. It's a simple clip, and um, or you could just take the weight right off, and you would be stuck with, and you would have this right there. Yep. You know, yep. I see the size it goes up to. Yeah, I saw that eighteen knot. Oh, it's the size of your hand. That is not for bass. <laughs> it's massive. You know, wow. so it's for I, those guys, right? There. I think these these hooks are some of um, the nicest hooks that they make. You know, Adam, I'm going to do what I can to get you some of these because I want you to be able to put your hands on them. Like to, man. Yeah. Those things are sweet. Yeah. Put your hand on them and see what they're about. Exactly. Yeah. And they've got all kinds of worm hooks and drop shots. Yeah. Those are the ones that I'm most intrigued about. You were most intrigued intrigued about the worm ones, right, Andy? These guys. Yeah. Because I'm a huge owner fan when it comes to. EWGs and worm hooks. So I, it, it's hard to beat an owner. Go, go back to that. Page. Everything that I've read. Or, or right here. Yeah. 
No, you guys, you guys, in your experience with bass fishing, what would be the difference between the top and the middle? You see how you have a you have the the, the, the so the top one is a J. Yeah, so that top one would be like a really good Carolina rig hook or like a finesse flat like plastic, like a five inch. Um, what's the worm I'm thinking of? Like a cutter worm, Deacon. Like that's what I would use the top one with. It's mm-hmm. like a five inch striking cutter worm, and yeah. then the one next, that one below it, would be like a good Senko hook, just like a or a seven inch or ten inch ribbon tail. So typical. Right. And then, and then the chimera on the bottom. Yep. Is that the best of both of those models? So for me, I, I'm going to, I'm going to have a probably a little bit different opinion than Andy on, on what hooks I oh, use. Good. I, I want to hear both of them. Yeah. Everyone, everyone kind of has their own preference on hook styles mm-hmm. and what, what they feel they get the best hookup ratio from. Mm-hmm. I don't, the, that top one there, the basilisk, like that is that is a hook that I don't I don't know why I just don't use it very often where it's kind of in between and I'm just going to go back or forward here to see if there's anything different but like as far as uh yeah so you got an extra wide there but like for me uh I, most of the time I would say the majority of the time I am I am down here with these chimera hooks that are having me an too. extra wider Honestly. gap right and that's what I'm throwing on at my sankos on a fluke things like that uh, and I've, I, there's good and bad with that. Um, but the, where there's a less, less wide bend, like in this guy, uh-huh. uh, that is when I'm, I, I like Carolina rigging that style hook. So dragging on the bottom around stuff where, um, there's not necessarily a big bait where it's having to slide a, a big gap through. Uh, I like having more of that gap when I want the bait to slide down it. Uh, and then penetrate in that fish's mouth but it seems like you have much more much more ability to grab that fish's mouth with the chimera on the bottom Mm -hmm. rather is that a siren in the middle i can't see it yeah that that hook seems extremely um much different yeah and and it's interesting because you'll see you then you'll hear professionals that are way above me that are that will prefer the siren style and the only the, the big benefit that i see to the siren style if you're like flipping and you're not using an actual flipping hook but when you're going into cover especially bushes or something where there's wood involved right when you have this chimera where you have a wide gap there mm-hmm. when that hook penetrates to that fish's mouth there's more stuff that that hook can get caught on when you're pulling that fish out of heavy cover okay Whereas the siren, you're just going through, and all that's out is just that little piece. So that's uh, that is what a lot of guys like. They, I, I don't want too wide of a gap in, in a lot of situations. So something like this, where there's the Chimera CD, where there's a real big wide gap here, I get a. It's kind of like a balance. I want there to be some gap, but I don't want it to be too wide because then you worry about getting fish through cover if you're right. fishing in really heavy cover. But I agree. Those are. My Yes, those are great thoughts. I I basically use the middle and the bottom of these two. Yeah, I almost yeah. never use the top one unless unless I'm Carolina rigging a speed craw. That's the only time I use that top because it's a little bit thicker of a bait. So right. I want that little bit more of a wide gap, but more of a traditional worm hook for like a Carolina rig. That's about the only time I'll use that top one, or if I'm swimming a cutter worm through thinner grass. Yeah. 
and I can get away with like a 12 pound test. I want a lighter wire hook that has a little bit more extra wide gap to it just so they can, I can get a better hook. That's all. That's the only reason why I would use the top one. I like it. Well, I, sur- I should have thought this through as far as pulling up the BKK uh, <laughs> catalog because this worked out well with our um, yeah. platform as far as we being able to show different hooks. But yeah, rather than just – and now see, if you keep going forward there, yep. they have this new – keep going. Let's see. If, um, let me th- – there it is. So that's the Harpax jig head. So they make the Harpax jig head in um, all the way – and the multiple eyes. All the way up to six on. Right. And the multiple eyes that they have on the jigs and the offshore jig heads, the tuna one. Mm-hmm. But the inshore one, the multiple eyes on the jig head is going to add an element. It, you've never seen it on a jig head before. No. Like, is that for, for adding? Yeah, you can put a blade ash. on it. You can put a yeah. stinger you can, hook. You can put a blade on it. You can put a stinger hook. You can actually fish another bait. Yeah, you could tie another. That's nifty. That's a, that's an interesting con. Right. So go I down. thought about that with like top water and then or like and then having a trailer behind it. Right. Almost. You know, so you could do your drop shot where you could be dragging a worm behind it. Yeah. You know? exactly. but see, like the offshore ones. Our thoughts on these was if you're drifting a jig, you're going to be on the forward eye. Hmm. If you're vertically jigging on the boat, you're going to be on the you know the the top eye. Yeah. You know, so the so the jig remains vertically. If you know, if you're drifting the jig, you're gonna, you know, go on the forward eye so that you know you don't have to deal with scope anymore and the jig's gonna swim. And then your bottom eye is for your dropper. Wow. Where you're gonna fish the other jig underneath. That's really cool. You know, mm-hmm. so um these are these are fairly new to the market. Yeah, so it's new in twenty twenty one. Cool. Yeah. So um, next year we're going to have a lot of um, a lot of trial and error with those things. Are these jig heads that you guys use a lot? Yeah, yeah, uh, especially that top one there. The can you zoom in on those, yep. See the football one on the bottom. Mm-hmm. You got your round head football yeah. jig head. I I use. I mean, throwing little swim baits all the time on a ball head jig. I don't think Do you, you can eat it. Mm-hmm. Do you, and, and and I think you, go ahead, Andy. You can't beat you can't beat a swim bait on a ball head. You can't beat it because really? you can drag it. You can slow roll it underneath the surface. You can hop it, and it makes that like, you can do everything on a ball head perfectly okay. balanced and will just wobble. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I think now if I do, go ahead. I was going to say, if I do have to drag a swim bait on the bottom, then I'll go to a football head just if I'm coming through rock because it allows it to deflect mm-hmm. differently. Okay. The whole the whole thought process behind a football head is like when a fumble happens in a football game, it goes different directions. And so when you have that, that yeah, head, kind of, it's, uh, Oh, is that what it's for? Yep. It's to make the bait go back and forth? Yes. Yeah, just like when if you like right yeah, anytime you throw a it. at the ground, it goes different directions, right? It's not oh, like a, a ball that's mm-hmm. going to have the same route so it's all for deflecting oh, okay cool especially off rock and you get hung up a lot oh, oh because it's such a wide head. when it hits a rock it'll cause it to deflect yep no i got you yeah like in this that that'd be a nasty drop shot hook there that spirit walker i think looks sweet yeah i love looking through the catalog every time i look through it i learn more and it's so uh 
It's just so clean, man. Like, isn't, I it easy, it isn't it one of the easiest online catalogs to look through? Yes. It is. You know, I hate dude. online catalogs too. So well, it just looks yeah, these these I was using these in like um the twos, threes, fours, and fives. You know. And you guys in your industry, you'd be what? You'd be using a five? Two out, three out, four, five out. Yeah. Anywhere in there. Maybe up to six. The swim bait in the application. Yeah. And I mean you can go through a Giants from six, and depending on where you are. Yeah. yeah. Most of the time you're looking between, like you said, the two and the six off, I'd say. Yeah. And I think what's going to help BKK, um, you know, really, really come into this market hard is their pricing is um, extremely competitive. Really? Uh, yes. Yeah. Very, very competitive compared They're to the very affordable. Yes. Yeah, and that's, that's something that I was curious just because of the quality we've talked about. Normally when you see something like that, you're like, okay, well, we're going to pay a premium here for this, but. Yeah. No. And I was, I was actually surprised when I, when I first came up with the prices, I was, I was shocked at how competitive they are when it comes to the prices. Um, you know, and you get good numbers of, so those small swim by hooks, you're going to get, you know, six or seven in a bag, Mm -hmm. in a package. Mm-hmm. You know, just enough that you know. As with an owner, you might get three for five ninety nine. Right. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna get um, so. you know, thirty to fifty percent more. You probably get two to three more. That's awesome. Bag. Um, let me see if I can find this. We uh we had bags of small ones, um, that we were using for the straight bass, and um, it was where was that? It was uh, it was great because we weren't losing them. We were going through. We were using you know sluggos. Uh, we were using a whole bunch of various um, various baits. That sounds like fun. A striped bass on a sluggo. Sign me up. Yeah. Now, can you get the LBC the sluggo? Like I feel what? like that would be a fun bite. Can you what? Get an LB like the oh yeah the Albacore. Oh yeah. Sluggo. Yeah, we use soft plastics. Yeah, that sounds like fun. Yeah. You should see when we use soft plastics for tuna. Bluefish, stripers. That's, that's all we used to use for tuna <laughs> was soft plastics. That's, yeah. Oh, 200, 300 pound fish, you know, chasing after a soft plastic. That's on crazy. The surface. And we used to use nine inch pink um, bubblegum sluggos. That's insane, you know? dude. It's we just used to see it from forever away. Yeah. We used to take uh, the old, like, Walmart storm shads. And we used to clip the hooks off of them and then put an assist hook on our split ring above the lure. Dang. Oh, we lost Andy. Oh, His service. probably died. <laughs> right? Yeah. Dude, that's, that's wicked. A- it just sounds like big bass fishing. Like yes, it is. It's just, it's just, it's just re- relative, you know? You're doing the same thing. Yeah. You know, just on a giant scale. Yeah. You know, some of the live baits we use, Adam, are seven, eight, nine, ten pounds. Oh, there's Andy. He might be back here. Andy. There you go, I'm buddy. not sure what happened there. Like, everything just like, shut off for a second. Like, I don't know what. That was weird. <laughs> yeah, some, sometimes it happened earlier, using... too, when I was watching Bassmaster Live. It shut off on you? Yeah. Just, down, like, my internet, like, cuts. Like, pounds. Yeah. Yeah. That's Who did? Bob Downey? Bob Downey, 27.4, dude. As a Uncle Bob. Bag. Is that five, five fish? Five fish, yeah. Yeah. 
five fish. So what's that? That's five and a half pounds. They're down in Jacksonville. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, they're down in Florida. Five and a half pound average. Dang. One of the lakes we have over here, I know they've fished it before, but I ice fish it constantly. That's Candlewood. Yep, Mm -hmm. yep. We've heard Candlewood a lot. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's 20 minutes from my house, and we ice fish it. It's about pretty steadily. about six hours from me. Something's happening in that lake past couple years, um, and we think it's the zebra mussels. Mm. Um, Everything's going down pretty quick. Ice fishing's become difficult. Tournament guys really are pulling clear. out. It's, it's like vodka. I think, yeah, that can help and hurt, right? I mean, as far as smallmouth being sight feeders, it seems to get fish big, but then there's also the negative connotation. Oh, it, it, kills, it, it kills a lake. Did the it, zebra mussels just it. get in there? Uh, they said about three years ago. Yeah, so you're kind of in the downward swing right now. And then once everything adapts, like you'll start seeing more vegetation than you ever have because the water's so mm-hmm. clear. clear. And um, the fishery in about eight to ten years, the fishery will be will rebound and be completely different. Oh, really? Yeah, because all of our finger lakes have zebra mussels in them. Yeah, Campbell was known as like humpback perch. Like when I see mm-hmm. guys catch yellow perch through the ice on TV, I knew where they were. You know, Let's because Candlewood's got, I mean, we don't, we never kept anything under 14 inches, you know, through the yeah. ice. I mean, our biggest one was uh, 17 and an eighth inches. You know, look at 17 and eighth inches on a, on a measuring tape for a yellow perch. <laughs> that's a lot. Day. That's a few tacos per fish. That's, yeah. Right. <laughs> so, so a lot of the tournament guys of there have been pulling out after a day or two because of the tournaments because they're just not, they're not doing fish. Yeah. You know, what do they do, Andy? Do they die? No, so they just adapt, right? They become very sensitive to changing light conditions. So when the water gets super clear, so basically what zebra mussels do is they suck all the, like, the zooplankton and the xyloplankton yeah, out of the water because that's what they're eating. Yep, right. so basically it, it starves part of the ecosystem and it takes it basically shocks the ecosystem. So the fish don't die. They just get skinny. They start roaming more. They don't become as territorial. Like the largemouth fishery will actually take off in areas that you have grass because that's where the bait fish are going to be because the grass is going to give off more plankton. So the bait fish are going to have more food to eat. So I don't know the exact dynamics of Candlewood, but I always heard it's like a bait fish chasing type lake. So the bass fishermen will get out and chase. It's it's, it's nuts. Pelagic smallmouth. Yes, I mean it's nuts. We used to see uh, alwives frozen in the ice all the time, and then we'd have mm-hmm. schools of alwives come across on the flashers. You know, where the whole screen yeah. would flicker, you know, green, and then it would go orange, and then you'd see them flicker off, and then they'd be gone. You know, every fish yeah. would spit up five, six alwives, and we're just we're not seeing that anymore. You know. Yeah, and the other thing is too, we've had a couple of cold winters in a row too. The cold winters really affect yellow lives they can't they don't live well through hard frozen water so you need a couple warm winters every once in a while to sustain that population so like yeah and then, with and that, Ontario, that the reason why this the ultimate fishing system because you have the the ocean that flows into there like that warm ocean current the wind yeah. currents that keeps it open if you get a couple really cold snaps and freezes 
um, alewives need warm water to survive. So that's why we've seen such a decrease in the salmonoid and steelhead fishery on Ontario because it's such an alewife-based fishery. In the summertime, our alewife numbers plummeted because in 2014, 15, 16, we had like some of the coldest winters we've ever had. Along with some of the best steelhead fishing we've ever had. You know? Yeah, right leading up into that crash, yeah. Right, so and now it's it is, you know, crashed, what, three, four years ago? And in about three years, it's going to be back to 2013, like 2008 to 2013. You, you think years. it is based on those stocking numbers? Do you? Um, not just the stocking numbers. The yellowwife population is back because we haven't had as cold of winters the last two winters, three winters. Okay. I it just takes it time. Does. <laughs> yeah i mean i yeah. love fishing the airy tribs but man this if you want size man you gotta go to ontario you know nothing beats the size are the bass the same in erie that they are in ontario, ontario? Or, the, or do they tend to be bigger in one they lake versus the, the other ontario tends to have bigger fish but erie has more so same with steelhead yeah right you know, same with the steelhead population. So your average weight in Ontario is bigger, but you can go to Erie and catch three to four times the amount of fish you catch on Ontario. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Exact, exact mm-hmm. same as the steelhead. You know, That's your true. 10 fish we have days. Such that... like... Go ahead. No, no, no. Oh, so basically, like, the difference is Ontario is such an alewife-driven fishery for baifish. So there's alewife and gobies. In Erie, um, the smelt tend to be more concentrated. The alewives are more concentrated. And then we have way more gobies because we have more livable area for gobies to reproduce. So our fish eat gobies more. I'm not saying they don't eat them on Ontario. There's just less habitat for them to really take off. Gobies are the best. They're large mouth and smallmouth fishing, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Are, like, oh, the, yeah. Aren't they the best bait <laughs> to have around? Best protein, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they yeah. just look like a big, thick pile of protein. They are. That's exactly what they are. They're little protein bites. Yeah. yeah. And they don't, they don't look like they're hard to catch either, you know? Yeah. No, they so, put a worm on with a drop sinker and go out and tell me how many gobies you catch in a day. You'll catch yeah, over a hundred. Really? Yep. Yeah. No. Well, guys, I know we've been going for a long while here. We'll go ahead and wrap things up. Appreciate Matt taking the time out. Anytime. It was too. great, guys. I had a good time. Yeah. Well, Matt, I mean, kind of just to last thing with your experience in the industry as well as with Tighten Up Charters, I mean, what would be a big piece of advice you'd give to someone interested in starting their own charter or some aspect in the fishing industry, something that they're passionate about? Um, in, in the fishing, as far as chartering, you think? Like uh, let's, the, yeah, let's go chartering. Let's say like if you've got a kid um, who's got a dream of starting his guide business. It's, it's a lot of work. <laughs> you know, it's a lot of work. And especially where we're with where we are in the country, it's a lot of work and you better do it every day because you only have a four, four and a half month season. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. um, if you had the, you know, the seasons down South Texas, Georgia, Florida, you got 12 months. You can take it easy for a little while. You know, you don't have to grind every day. 
Um, you better love your job and you better be a people person. You better be able to adapt to, um, you know, what those people, you know, that's need a good point. Um, I think that's not talked about enough in guiding, to be honest. Um, you, you hear all in the hunting and fishing guides have a lot of friends that are hunting and fishing guides. And it always seems like the ones that are really successful are good at talking, man. They love yeah. talking to people and they love hearing right. people's stories. Yeah. Is what I tell a lot of people. They say, what should we do? What should we do when we're on the boat? And I said, you guys do whatever you want. It's your boat for the day. You know, I'm just the guy who's going to drive it and bring you to the fish. But it's your boat for the day. Um, you have to be able to adapt and um, you got to be personable, you know, and you just got to be able to live with their experiences. And, you know, you also have to change how you're going to approach fishing that day based on their experiences. It's not fair to them. Or what they right, want. Or yeah. what they want. If they So first off, I ask people, how do you guys want to catch these fish? Yeah. Do you guys want to learn for yourselves, for your boat? Do you, you know, you have a specific way you want to catch them? And I have to, I have to change my tactics that day based on either their experiences or their, what they want to do. Sure. You know, so you have to be, um, you have to be pretty fluid, you know, in, in your approach, you mm -hmm. know, um, and it's, it's a lot of work and it doesn't stop. You know, people think, you know, it's, you know, people say to me all the time, they go, oh, man, you got the best job in the world. You just fish all day. And I said, no, I work all day. I said, I'm fishing <laughs> while I'm working. But um, just like Andy, me and you go fishing for steelhead. That's a, just a good day on the water. We just have a good kick-ass time, you know? Yeah. But you bring two clients out, and those clients aren't talk. you know, they don't talk a lot. They're kind of quiet. And you don't know what their experience is. That makes the whole day difficult. Yeah. Because they're giving you no feedback, and you haven't put a fish on the bank yet. Now they're starting to look at you a little funny. Like, why did we hire you? You know what I mean? So it makes the day difficult, you know? So you don't it have does. that stress when, you know, we go fishing together. Because we've both done it a thousand times. So it's just another day. Some days good, some days bad. But chartering is difficult. It is nice, though. You know, my office is a sunrise, you know, east of Cape Cod. Um, every morning. It's really yeah. nice. You got to take the good and the bad. 100%. You know, that's all it is. So anybody who's worried about getting into it, you know, get a hold of me, send me an email, shoot me a call. And it might not work for you, but I'll tell you what works for me. I like it, man. Well, I appreciate that. Well, with that, what's the best, uh, the best way for folks to get a hold of you if they are interested in a charter trip chasing these big tuna or anything else? Uh, they can, uh, the website is Titan Up Charters CC for Cape Cod. Okay. Um, Instagram is the same, Titan Up Charters CC. And Facebook, Titan Up Charters. Um, they can get a hold of me, you know, on any of those platforms. And I'd be more than happy to talk with anybody about, you know, what they are looking for in a trip. Awesome. You know, awesome. We'll, we'll do the best we can to accommodate them. Heck Yeah. Well, great, Matt. Well, thanks again, dude, for taking the time out. I really appreciate you taking Thank the you. time. It's good to see you, guys. No, I love talking with you guys. It was a good time. Heck yeah. All right. And with that, we will go ahead and wrap things up. All right. Well, that was an awesome show. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you can and your app allows it, please leave us a rating and review. It really helps us get seen more, which allows us to access more time and more variables to be able to bring to the show to make it better for you guys. 
So hope you enjoyed it. And if you did and you like some of the things we talked about in this episode and want to check out our show partners, all of that is in every single show description. You can click down there. It's got all of our discount codes, all of our links to our show partners where you guys can go and support the people that support this show and help us make this show happen. And of course, this show does not happen without you guys. You guys know we appreciate you. You're the Searsanga fam. You're the reason we're here. Appreciate y'all. And we'll see y'all on the next one.